Amen. We are jumping into this series. I, I was kind of sh- strapped for time in the last, uh, in the last service, so I'm going to try to get through it uh, this, this, uh, this service. And we've been jumping into the creed. Uh, the creed, I've been excited about jumping into this, this series since the time that I was in seminary because uh, one of our professors challenged us, and he said that, that when you recite things, that it spiritually forms you. And one of the things that he did, and I shared this with you a couple weeks back, but one of the things that he did was he took an American flag. First, he took a flag that wasn't, that nobody knew what it was, and he said that he was going to burn it. And, there, you know, people were like, oh, that, you know, that's kind of inappropriate, but we don't know what that is. And then he took an American flag out, and he said, I'm going to burn this. And everybody was kind of, like, upset that he was going to do that. And then he said, did you feel a difference in emotion when I said I was going to burn the American flag? And everybody said, yeah, we were emotionally charged. We didn't want you to do that. And he said, I want you to think about why. And it's because for the most of you, you went to, you went to a school that every day before school started, you looked at this flag and you put your hand on your heart and you said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And you might not have known what you were saying, but because you did that every single day, it's, it formed your soul, it formed your spirit, so that when something happened to that flag, there was an emotional response. And we were like, oh, that makes sense. And then he said, how many of you can recite the Apostles' Creed? And we're all pastors in the room, right? And we stumbled through it. But he said, how many of your children can recite the Apostles' Creed? And we looked at each other with, you know, we felt guilty, like, I don't know if our kids could say it. And so we got ba- I got back from seminary, and I asked my kids, do you know the Apostles' Creed? And they didn't know it. And so we started reciting it in the morning. And I won't tell you, I won't rat the person out, but there's someone in my family that said, Jesus descended to hell? And I was like, what? You didn't know that? And they're like, no, I didn't know that. And I thought, wow, like, there, there is this absence of foundation of spiritual truth in the church. And, and I, I felt that, you know, with the shaking that's happening in our nation, in different ideologies that are happening, and people, this absence of truth and not knowing who to trust or what is right and what's not, it becomes imperative that the church becomes really solid on the foundations of what we believe. Amen? And so what I want to do is go through each line of the Apostles' Creed and just share the significance of it. Um, how many of you have grown up in church? Raise your hand if you have a church background. Okay, raise your hand if you have not had a church background, that you're like one of the, okay, just like two, three. And two of them are the pastors of the church. <laughs> one of the things that's very interesting about growing up in church is because you grow up in this Christian environment, you don't know what you believe. It's like a fish doesn't know that they're wet because they've never been dry. And so one of the things that we're going to do in the Apostles' Creed is go through what the faith is not, what the contrast of faith is. Uh, Pastor Zach did a great job with the first line, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I just want to uh, talk a little bit about that. Do you know that most, that most beliefs, almost every other belief, they don't believe in a, in a God. They believe in many gods, right? And 
Judaism and Christianity is one of the few beliefs that say we only believe in one God. Um, let me give you an example of why. If you can throw this, uh, this picture up. This is the Hawaiian god of war, Ku, on your left. Everyone say Ku. You guys got to say it like, like a war. Say Ku. <laughs> that is dumb. Um, that's Ku, the war god. On the top right-hand corner, who's that? It's the god of peace. How many of you know the Hawaiian god of peace? Come on, Peyton, you Hawaiian. Nobody knows? Lono. Lono. And we're on Lono Avenue, the avenue of peace, the God of peace. And then, oh yeah, Lono's down by Kahului School. <laughs> Kahului School got the peace. Um, and it makes sense as, a, as humans that you see two contrasting things and you're like, Okay, so we're going to go to war. We're going to sacrifice to the god of war, Ku. And then when you're in a time of peace, well, we want to keep the peace, so we're not going to offer sacrifices to that god of war. We're going to offer sacrifices to the god of peace, Lono, right? And that's, the, that's natural human thought. How many of you, that makes sense? Does that make sense? It, it's, it's natural thought. And, and almost every culture practices a polytheistic worldview that different, different things have different, whether it's the environment, a god of uh, the sea, Aquarius, a god of the sky. You know, you have, what are the Greek gods again? Zeus and uh, Apollos, his son. You have all of these different gods, but Judaism says we believe in one god. And you can go to the next slide. This is one that Pastor Zach showed last week. These are all the names of Jehovah, what Jehovah revealed to his people he was. And if you look at Jehovah Shalom, that's the Lord of peace. And you go a little bit down and there's Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of war, the Lord of hosts, the God of war. And it, it's something that had to be revealed from God to his creation because human minds would not be able to figure that out that you're going to have a God that is both the God of war and the God of peace, right? That doesn't make logical sense. But, and, and notice that with all of these, that he's the God, the creator, uh, Lord, our sovereign, Lord that will provide Jehovah, um, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Lord, our healer, Jeho Jehovah Rapha, all of these characteristics of who God is, notice that there's not a picture next to any one of those. Because God said, do not make unto me any, what? Graven image. Because there's no way that you could embody who I am. And so this is one of the few beliefs in the world that does not have a picture of who they believe their God was. Because he is holy. He is so far beyond what we can imagine or what we could describe. He is Jehovah. He is the great I am. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, one of the things, every single belief after the Apostles' Creed is based on the foundation of that first line. So if I can get you to not believe that there's one God, but that there's many gods, and everybody has their own God, and we all have our own truth, and we can do whatever we want, then every other thing in the Apostles' Creed has no weight. 
And so there is an intentional attack on that first line, that we believe in God, our Father. He's the maker of heaven and earth. The whole evolution curriculum in our schools attacks that first line because if God is not the creator of heaven and earth and we're here because of evolution and we came here from monkeys, then who is Jesus Christ? He's the son of God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. But if there is no maker of heaven and earth, then Jesus Christ is just another person that was evolved from monkeys. You see how this works? So we have to understand the significance of every maker of heaven and earth. In other, in other uh, culture, there is a God, we went, we went to Bali, and there's a God of uh, earth, there's a God of the sea, there's a God of fire, there's a God of wind, and they have a God for every single one of these and an altar to these gods in their, their backyard. But what we believe is that we don't have a God of the earth, we have a God that is the creator of heaven and earth. Amen? And so with that, everything else holds weight if we believe that first line. How many of you believe that first line that I believe in God, the Father, he's the maker of heaven and earth, right? And the earth can be a billion years old. How many of you believe that the earth is a billion years old? Carbon dating says that the earth is a billion years old. No, really, raise your hand. How many of you believe that the earth is a billion years old? How many of you don't believe that the earth is a billion years old? Okay, how many of you believe that, that the world is 4,000 years old? Because if you look at the genealogy, Adam to Noah to Abraham, it's about 4,000 years to Christ and then another 2,000 years to us. So how many believe that the world is 6,000 years old approximately? Okay, I believe both. Because... When God made Adam, he didn't make a baby, right? So God could have created a world that was several billion years old. But it was a second old at the second that he made it. So creation doesn't have to conflict with science. And I talk to my students about this all the time when I was a chemistry teacher, that, that God is the creator of heaven and earth, that the world is billions of years old, that carbon dating Sometimes it's accurate, sometimes it's not, but it could be billions of years old. But when God created it, he could have created it that old, right? I don't know. There's, I don't want to turn this into apologetics, but um, he's the maker of heaven and earth. Um, number one, so we're going to go through, and he's Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This statement can be broken up into three parts. Jesus Christ, it spoke to the Jews. His only son, it spoke to the Greeks. It spoke to the Gentiles. And our Lord, it spoke, it was a political statement being spoken to the Romans. This one phrase could, could encapsulate who Jesus was to every people group. And every single people group was ticked off because of it. Because the Jews didn't believe that he was Jesus Christ. Greek philosophy said that God had more than one son. And our Lord, all the Romans, believed that Caesar was Lord. And so this rubbed everybody the wrong way. This was the perfect way for the church to make enemies during the, the, the first century. So um, I want to break this up. Jesus. Ye Jesus is Yeshua. Everyone say Yeshua. Yeshua is another name for Joshua. And it means that he will save. Everyone say he will save. Jesus is Savior. He will save. 
Uh, and this was spoken to the Jews. Um, they had a, a, a idea of who the Savior would be and what the Savior would look like. Matthew one twenty one it said, And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. But the Jews, when they were looking for a Savior, someone that would save them, uh, Yeshua, like Joshua, they had an image in their mind of the last Savior that was there, the last, the last person named Yeshua or Joshua. Could you put that uh, slide up? So Joshua, he took the people from the wilderness to the promised land. He helped Israel overcome their enemies in Canaan and help usher in a new era where Israel had a physical inheritance. And what they believed this new Savior was going to have, this prophesied Savior, was that he was going to free them in the same way and usher in this new era. And instead, the angel that talked to Joseph said, he will, you will call his name Yeshua because he will save his people from their sin. Not from an external enemy, but from an internal enemy. How many of you, how many of you have battled with an internal enemy? There, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you know that your uh, spouse battles with an internal enemy of like anger? Raise your hand. No. <laughs> how, how, how many of you, how many of you have encountered this enemy of sin that is very hard to overcome, whether it be an enemy of lust or an enemy of covetousness or greed or anger or depression or hopelessness. There's so many, there's so many enemies of our soul and there's so many voices out there that say the solution to this is meditation. The solution to this is another self-help book. The solution to this is to go see somebody that will talk you through all your problems. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but Jesus said this one thing in Acts 4.12. Or Peter was, oh, <laughs> someone's listening. Um, let's read the scripture together. One, two, three. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. A lot of those self-help things are good, but they're not our deliverer. They're not our savior. It's not what will save us from sin. How many of you have experienced deliverance from sin, that God has helped you overcome anger or helped you overcome depression? How many of you are in the process of overcoming that? How many of you are better this week than you were a year ago in areas of your weakness? And what Jesus says is, he who started a good work will be faithful to complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. And so there is a Savior, and it's not us. I just talked to this one guy. He's so funny. We're, we're talking, and we're talking about finances and stuff, and he's really, you know, well-to-do financially. And I was saying, like, okay, so what's your purpose now? Like, you, you have everything that you need. You don't need to worry about money at all. What's your purpose? And he said, I'm going to solve my problems by looking deep into my soul and finding out who I really am. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Because if the problem came from you, how is looking deeper into you 
going to be the place where your solution comes from. The scripture says that our goodness is all as filthy rags. There's nothing in us. The problem is us. So why would the solution be to look deeper in us? The solution is external. It's in Christ. Amen? Not only that, but it says, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. How many of you need your, your, your kids to be better? <laughs> How many of you need your spouse to be better? It, when we're saved, it gives a venue for the Spirit to work through to save our house. My, my, my mom's not here, but she had a, 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 a really bad temper before. I can, like, you know, say that because I, I don't remember. But she said that she, when I was a kid, that she, because her mom was crazy. Like, my grandma, she was nuts. Velma Shemabukuro, my grandma, she's crazy. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go there. So, but, but my mom, one time she said that, and I don't even remember this, but she said that uh, I was loud in the car and she like hit me and then I was like crying on the floor of the car and she looked at me and I was like all scared of her and she said, she said that was her turning point where she said, I need to get delivered of this. And she she prayed and she prayed and she said, God, by the time my son talks, please help me to get over this so that he can't tell anybody what I do to him. <laughs> and and, and she, she, I don't remember anything. I, 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 I can't remember her. Well, I don't know. She used to pinch my cheek and stuff. But, um, but I remember one time I lost my temper and I was ready to like, you know, destroy this guy because he was like making trouble to me while I was playing ping pong. And so I started chasing him around the ping pong table and I was like, I'm gonna kill you. And I really wanted to kill him. And I felt this hand grab my shirt from the back and drag me into the house and just give me lickings. I'm I'm just gonna say it. I'm not advocating that you like give your lickings to your kid, but she just like gave me lickings and I I remember, like, it just didn't stop. It was just like, pa, 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 pa. And then I walked out, and she goes, you go outside, and you tell Sean you're sorry. So I walk outside, and like, <laughs> sorry, Sean. You know, like, I'm all crying and stuff. And then, and I never lost my temper like that again after that. And she told me, the reason why I spanked you, oh, yeah, all my friends, they saw me when I walked out, and they said, they're all, all, their mouths are all big like they're, Oh, that was 35 wax. You know, like they, they counted it when I got lickings. But she said, I saw in you what was in me. And so I didn't want that stronghold of anger to come over your life. So I spanked it out of you. And I, I, I can't remember losing my temper like that after that. Not advocating for that, but it worked. Anyway. Um, why did I go off on that? Okay, so, so Jesus, he's our Savior. Um, number two, Christ, the anointed one. Uh, the Jews were believing in, in a Messiah, a king, a priest. Christ means anointed one, and they were looking for a king and priest that would restore to uh, them the kingdom. You can go to the next slide. You can skip over that slide. Um, this is a picture of the Temple of Solomon that on the middle of the Temple of Solomon is the Dome of the Rock. And when we went to Israel... Uh, the Jewish people don't believe that Jesus was the Christ. 
They don't believe he was the Messiah. They don't believe he was an anointed one. They are waiting for a Christ, a, a, a deliverer to come and restore the apex of their kingdom, which was during Solomon's reign, and that this temple will be rebuilt. And in scripture, it prophesies that there is going to be a Christ that rebuilds this temple and restores the priesthood, but it's going to be the Antichrist. And so you can, you can read up on that. This is a hot spot. If you see this temple being reconstructed, know that we're very close to uh, the return of the real Christ, the true Christ. So when the apostles put this creed together, I believe in Jesus Christ, one who will save and the anointed one, the king and priest. They are declaring that Jesus is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and the next part, that he is the Son of God, was spoken to the Gentiles or to the Greeks. So you can go to that next one. Um, Okay, so the, the whole purpose of the Christ. Let's read the scripture together. One, two, three. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Can go again to the next slide. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. One of the things that I saw during the pandemic is that people started looking to government for salvation. People started looking to government for a way out, that government was going to save. And you know what happened when people started looking to the government to save? The government said, yes, we'll save you, but we're going to save you by controlling you. And because people were afraid, they gave freedom over to government, and government took freedom away from people and limited what they could do and what they couldn't do. And power is addictive. And you give power away, and the people that take power will not give it back without a fight. And we're headed in that direction. Jesus said a true Christ, a true Savior, a true Messiah does not save to take power, does not take power to control. A true Christ, a true Savior, saves people for the purpose of freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Why? To give us the freedom to love. If you control something, they're not free to choose out of their free will to love. And because God loves us and he wants us to love him back, out of free choice, he sets us free to love. The Antichrist, at the end of the age, the Antichrist, there will be such fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and sound mind. In the last days, there will be a fear, I believe, over the planet that we have not experienced even during COVID. And that fear will give control to a Christ who will offer salvation, but the product of that will not be freedom. It will be control and bondage. So keep, keep your eyes set on that. Because who you trust for salvation, if it's the wrong savior, it will result in, in the opposite of freedom. And that's why it's anti-Christ, not Christ. Amen? <laughs> that was such a happy thought, right? Um, his only son spoke to secularism. 
Um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, let, me just, let me just read this um, one point of this, this point. Let's, let's read the scripture uh, first. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John 1, 17 and 18. Let's read that second scripture. He is, wait, before we, let me just read this. Um, the description of his only son, everyone say his only son, was something that spoke to the ideologies that permeated Greek thought. There was many mythologies that, that described the relationship between the spiritual and the natural. And that's, that's, that's normal because we're all spiritual beings. So everywhere that you go, you'll see ideologies that will connect the spiritual and the natural. Um, we were made in the image of God. And so we know that there's something out there that's greater than ourselves. The descript, um, there are many mythologies that describe relationship between the spiritual and the natural. Some ideologies would bring God down. Others would lift man up. This phrase correctly described Jesus' role and his position in relationship to God and also to man. And so you can go to the next slide. These are just some, some examples that are not Christian. On the left, this is Jesus arm wrestling with Satan. And the Mormon belief is that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. I don't know if you know that, but... Uh, Jesus and Lucifer are both sons of God, and they both battle against each other. It brings Jesus down from the level of the only begotten son of the Father. Um, on the right, you have Zeus and Apollos, and their father and son, and they fight with each other because humanity, when they create a God, they superimpose their experience onto their deities that they create. God said, I and the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father am one. And I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I see the, hear the Father say it. So Jesus was the expression of God, true, a true, the true and living God in human form that people have never experienced before. And he said, we are one. Um, on the bottom, that's Jehovah Witness, and they believe that Jesus is the Father, but he created, I mean, God is the Father, but he created Jesus. And so it brings Jesus down to a created being and somebody that's not worthy of worship. In the Mormon faith, it brings us up. It says one day we will all become gods. We, we will all have our own universes and people will worship us. So how many of you want to be a god? No? Because there's, there's a church down the road that you can be a god there. Um, and, and number four, this is the last one. Our Lord. So... I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Our Lord was the statement that got more Christians killed than all the others before it. Because it was a political statement and was speaking to the power of Rome at that day where everybody said, Caesar is Lord. Christians said, Jesus is Lord. And it got them killed. There was a heavy price to saying this, that Jesus was a Christ, he was the only son of God, and that he was also Lord. And, what I, and, and I just want to close with this one thought, that I struggled when I was growing up. 
growing up in church, and one of the teachings that I was taught was that if Jesus is not Lord, then he, he's not your Savior. How many of you have heard that? If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And if he's not your Lord, he can't be your Savior. You can't pick and choose. How many have heard that? No, nobody? Just me? Um, and I would struggle with that because I, I, I know my weakness. I know I, I'm, like, my sins. I know that, that if I stood before God, he'd, he sees everything, and I, I couldn't stand before him. And I would think, if, if Jesus isn't Lord, then he's not going to be my Savior, but I'm incapable of making him Lord, which is why he was my Savior. But, and then so people say, you just got to make him Lord of your heart. And then, huh? I don't get it. But during this pandemic, I figured it out. You guys want to know the revelation that brought peace to my heart after decades of, of angst? I started seeing that people were trusting government to be their savior. And because they trusted government to be their savior, government naturally became their Lord. Who you trust for your salvation, who you trust to save you, will naturally become the Lord of your life. And so I come to Jesus now and I'm like, thank you for saving me. There is no other name under heaven or under earth by which man can be saved. There's nothing that I can do on my own to attain salvation. It is God-initiated. He begins the work, and then he is faithful to complete that work. Jesus is my Savior, and because Jesus is my Savior, he naturally becomes my Lord. I fail him. I have weakness but he is the Lord of my life. This, these are the first two lines of the Apostles' Creed. And even though we say it every single week, I want us to close by saying it again. Can we all stand? And we're going to close with the Apostles' Creed. Let's say the Apostles' Creed with understanding and with conviction. I believe in God the Father Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his face turn upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you.